This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to another episode of Attacking Third, a CBS Sports Soccer Podcast. I'm Sandra Reda, lead NWSL writer for CBS Sports. Joined today, as always, by my colleague and co-host, Lisa Roman, broadcaster and analyst for CBS Sports. Today, we're also joined by a special guest and friend of the show, Lori Lindsay, former United States U.S. Women's National Team midfielder. We're so happy to have her on here because we have to talk about a historic day for the United States Women's National Team. The U.S. Women's National Team Players Association, the U.S. Men's National Team Union also agree with U.S. Soccer on historic CBAs for each respective player unions. We're just going to hop right in. I got to ask for first reactions to the news. Lori, I'm going to go straight to you for it. How are you feeling today? Uh, yeah, I mean, freaking pumped and so thrilled <laughs> about this. I mean, when we talked about the CBA months ago for the NWSL, um, you know, I, I think I was like getting a little bit teary, teary-eyed. And so, yeah. you know, I feel the same here. I feel um, thrilled for what could, what the potential to come. And then also just in the moment of like, hell yeah, this is awesome, right? Like this is for both sides, for both mm-hmm. the men and the women. I mean, I think there's, that's no doubt um, the important thing here. Lisa, first reactions for you. I'm, I'm impressed and happy and so overjoyed for these players, but I'm impressed that it came two months after the settlement happened because that happened in, in mid-March between the Players Association and the U.S. Soccer Federation about the equal pay claims in litigation after six years of that battle back and forth in court. Um, there was terms of a settlement that were contingent on a CBA, and a lot of the talk at the time was like, Yes, we got the settlement, but now we got to get the CBA between the men's side and the women's side and U.S. Soccer and and U.S. Soccer Federation. And now that has happened just two months later. It's all really falling into place. And and these terms are great. I mean, it's equal pay across the board. That's like the main billboard for for this, which is huge. huge. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that for sure, because I I think... Maybe that was, that's been something that's been lingering, I think, in the back of people's minds. I know in the back of our minds, uh, we've been talking and chatting a lot about collective bargaining agreements. I feel like it's been for well, really the last several years, but it's it's kind of escalated, I think, at, at the height of 2022. When, you know, Laura, you mentioned it, we talked a little bit and got misty-eyed a bit over the uh, National Women's Soccer League uh, Players Union going ahead and ratifying their first ever CBA. And just the timeline of this one as well, like they're just – having this years long battle with the United States women's national team and, uh, you know, us soccer and, and very open, very public, right. A lot of headlines around that type of back and forth. Um, and sometimes, you know, you're looking at a player's union, you get dragged through some headlines. You're looking at a, a federation, get dragged through, uh, to some headlines. But I think when that settlement 
uh, or the agreement to settle got announced. We're talking just in February of this year, in 2022. There was an agreement to settle between these two parties after the six-year legal battle. This, the terms of that settlement included uh, $22 million to, to players in, who were named within the case. And then ultimately, the, the Federation also agreed to establish a players fund with $2 million to benefit players during uh, their post-soccer careers and invest in charitable efforts that were aimed at growing the sport for women. So r- that in itself, I remember us hopping on here and, and celebrating that. Like this was something it was just and that was just an agreement to settle. We were like, yes, like, let's talk about like big strides here. But within that, there was this promise, right? This promise that, hey, we are also going to provide an equal rate of pay for both the men and the women's national teams. And that includes the big one, the World Cup bonuses. But the whole little thing in between all that was that it was a promise. And it was a promise not only that, it, but it was contingent on something else. So it had to be that these two unions had to come together to ratify uh, their own new respective collective bargaining agreements. So knowing this, I'm going to go to you again for this one, Lori. On the player side of things, you're, you can talk to us from from a time and place where that maybe necessarily wasn't the case. When you're looking at, you know, fighting for your rights as, as a player in this space, a lot of times when we heard when we've heard from uh, former players and former collective bar- or bargaining negotiations, it's always been trying to to grow the space to to fight for your rights within it. But this concept of having to work alongside this closely with the men's national team, this is maybe a little a bit of a first. Uh, talk to me about maybe going from prior negotiations, things that you maybe were used to being in in the rooms on to to sort of seeing this come to fruition now. Yeah. Well, you know, Lisa and I were talking off um, off air as well, uh, kind of about that, right? Instead of like just working in silos, like this isn't just the women's national team's fight, it's everyone's fight. And so, you know, I remember back in like 2000, um, getting a call, I was like playing with the U21 national team or something. And it was like Julie Fatty and Mia and everybody was calling, right? Because they're going to go on strike to like get better pay. Uh, there's still like better uniforms, better resources. And it was like, please don't, if you get called in, don't go, right? This has to be a collective um, um, effort. And so that's, those are the types that I remember, right? That was in a CBA, but that is like, hey, we're in this together collectively. Like we all have to be on the same page to be able to move this sport forward and leave it better than not just for like the players that are playing now, but for future generations. And then come into my time when I was playing, um, frequently with the national team, you know, it did feel like we were constantly in the fight alone. And there was a, a constant dialogue of like, okay, like, why aren't, why aren't the men engaged? Why aren't we, um, whether that's correct or not, right? There just wasn't a lot of communication between the two teams. And I feel that that is the biggest point in this, right? Like, hell yeah, for the like, equal, like, um, equal pay and um, directly across and everything else that people can read about the specifics in there, right? Like, yes, amazing, right? Um, but I think just in general, the collaboration of the two teams and uh, and behind the scenes is like one of the biggest things because, I mean, you look at anything that's going on in this world, it's not the individual groups fight 
right? It's, it's collectively, what is everybody doing? And I've said that about the men's team and that's not a knock, right? It's just more about like, how do we um, continue this dialogue forward? And so to me, to have both of these um, U.S. men's and women's national teams together, I think is setting a precedent for going forward, but also it is going to take some people um, or it is going to have some people globally stop and look and be like, what's going on there? How can we move forward? And I think there's good things to come, which is like the biggest thing for me. I think it's huge. Yeah. I mean, that's such a good point about how everyone else in the world now is looking at U.S. Soccer Federation because it is setting the precedent, having the men's and the women's team in collaboration, working together, coming to terms on things that benefit both sides, not just one side. And it's not taking one from the other to give to one. It's a collaboration and coming uh, to these equal terms. You touched on this a little, Lori, but I want to pick your brain about the future because as you mentioned back in 2000 it was it was not going to a camp that you're being called into to kind of set the tone and as a wave that everyone is in this together and now that this collaboration comes between the men's side and the women's side there is a cba what does this look like moving forward especially because we're coming into a world cup year for the men world cup qualification qualifications this summer for the women and then in 2023 the women's world cup so what does the future landscape of u.s soccer look like right now yeah well to me exciting i mean i've been saying this like i i think we got this question asked during the draft whether expansion or college draft about like players starting to sign directly with their clubs, right? Because all of it is like, all of this is intertwined. So like when I think about U.S. soccer, I do think about the NWSL. I can't speak as much directly to the men's because that that is a bit more in place, right, with how their club teams work and stuff. But in particular with like NWSL, and that is a direct link to a lot of these players, um, I think the growth, the ceiling is substantially high, right? Of what I don't even know if we can imagine what this could look like. I mean, before the um, all these national team players were had their contracts through the national team, right? And so that automatically sets like a hierarchy on like what is important and what's not. And I think that has always held back whatever league was in place at that time because basically you have. 30 players and that's stretching it, making a living off of soccer and the others aren't right. And now players are going to be signing with their individual club teams. It's on the, the individual clubs to, um, to develop those players and what that looks like. They can sign directly. And I think that one, um, just creates more growth that creates more excitement. I think that, um, draws more attention globally for international players to come over um, because there's fewer restrictions and what that looks like. I think it equals the playing field globally as well, because our U S women's national team is not going in for eight months prior to a world cup and training together. So like, I mean, awesome in the past, right. But like, let's be honest, that is like a bit odd. Um, And, and also you just allow, I think for the national, the women, I had this thought before, which is, um, and I've lost it a bit, but for the NWSL, you you now have created, like, there's not going to be that hierarchy. So I think we've got to get away from, yes, the U.S. Women's National Team is special to play for, right? That's awesome. And Lisa, you and I talked about this on the U.S. Women's National Team Hour, but like playing professionally and being able to make a living at like yeah. in women's sport is like that to me is the topic. Right. And like, mm-hmm. let's get away from if you don't play on the national team, then you're not a good soccer player. Cause that is not it anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. That's just not it. And so to me that changes the whole dialogue 
around um, the NWSL, women's soccer in the United States. And I think that just continues to push the game forward. Because the last the point I'll say is the U.S. women's national team, what I am most like grateful for about being part of this team is this forward thinking and pushing the envelope and um, understanding the platform when you play on this team and what that means in terms of leaving the game better. And globally, teams do, federations do look to see what's going on here in the United States. And this is a moment for them to certainly be paying attention. I love that you brought up I love how you said it too. You're like, these two things that like aren't necessarily the same. It doesn't mean that one is more or one is less when we're talking about uh, playing for country versus playing for club and sort of the mindset around that, that has kind of shifted a little bit. Uh, I mean, I, I remember we, it was it wasn't too long ago. It was during March for for Women's Month. We had Sam Mewis on here. We were chatting a little bit with her uh, about Title IX and 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 the impacts of that. And we also chatted about uh, the potential for now this new contract that we're talking about here. At the time, they were still in the early phases of just agreeing to that settlement with U.S. Mm-hmm. Soccer, and then the next round was having to get on calls or get into meetings, uh, you know, with their compatriots and the U S men's team to sort of hammer something out here. And we had asked her and she mentioned that she mentioned that the league specifically, this concept of something that they really want within this next CBA is this sort of balance between, you know, club and country. And we're seeing some of that within this new CBA that finally got announced. Uh, let's maybe go over some some of these bullet points in here that kind of stick out and, and get some reactions uh, a little bit. Obviously, the biggest one is this, you know, the concept of, of equal pay for equal work. And I, I chuckle a little bit because it just, even saying it out loud, it, it sounds so simple, but in the back of my head, I'm like, this has been fought for for yeah. decades, quite, quite frankly, um, and really escalated maybe over the last six years to, to now six months. Right. But this concept of equal pay for equal work for, you know, international friendlies players on, on, on both teams are going to be paid identical roster appearance fees and performance payments based on the outcome of the match and the rank of the opponent with identical tiering structures, players not on the game roster will earn the equivalent of an appearance fee for their participation in a senior national team camp for official competitions, including the world cup. Both teams will earn identical game appearance fees for official uh, competitions other than the world cup. Both teams will earn identical game bonuses. Uh, USWNT players will no longer receive guaranteed salaries, and those who play in NWSL will no longer have their NWSL salaries paid for, by U.S. soccer. We touched on that last one a little bit right now, but even for those first two points that I just mentioned right now under this under this, uh, under this this phrasing of equal pay for, for equal work, I'm looking at that, and when I saw that, I, I for me, I was like, doing a little bit of a, of a victory dance too, because <laughs> something else that we've seen in these last, you know, recent cycles, we'll, we'll just say this shift, uh, even starting with, with Jill Ellis now into, to Vlako Andonovsky. I remember so often times, you know, the excitement around expanding the player pool, even just a little bit, even when we just saw, for example, this, this kind of experimentation that was happening at the outside back position, when we saw a number of players getting called in uh, forwards, getting called in specifically shifting their, you know, shifting them lower into the back line to sort of see what worked before Crystal Dunn was a revelation apparently. And I remember so often, 
often a time where you only can dress a certain amount of players on a game day. And that means the other handful of players are not going to be, uh, you know, accessible for, for in-match substitutions or anything like that. So when I saw something like that, I was thrilled. Mm-hmm. So this concept of, of getting a call in, right. And, or, you know, being recognized for your efforts at the club level, getting called in and being part of a training camp, isn't j- just, you know, a, this, this honor, anymore it's not just like a stamp on your book anymore it's it's coming with some dollar signs behind it and i for for me i was thrilled to see that um especially for this is going this is a point for for both teams here but i know for us we're speaking to this from from the u.s uh, women's side so i'm you know i'm I'm thinking of those early days when when somebody like a sophia huerta was constantly called in or even a taylor smith was called in or a casey krueger or even fast forwarding to now with so many of these uh kind of next gen players kind of coming in and maybe not necessarily, you know, getting into these training camps and not necessarily seeing, seeing the minutes that's going to look different for so many of these players moving forward. And that was a big, big point uh, for me when I was looking at this, that I was uh, celebrating Lori, what is like the, even just the economics of the, the financial impacts of that, what does that like mean for, for young players as they kind of get like this call up now go into these training camps just to try to impress coaching staffs. Talk to me a little bit about that mindset going in there doing that, but now there's going to be, you know, some, some dollar signs behind that for them. Yeah. I mean, well, listen, I think it just opens opportunities where it's at, right. There's just so many more opportunities and that pathway looks very different. You know, you, you said it perfectly Sandra in the past too. I mean, if you were in the mix, if you were in that kind of like 30 player pool, awesome for you because it was also difficult to get you off. So you were like, quote unquote, safe in some ways. But like, also, like, even when I say that, I want to cringe a little bit, because I had the luxury of like being in that position, right. And I also understood what it was like not being in that, like, I had the fortune to understand both sides, which I think is, gives me an interesting perspective. Um, However, it's like, when you think about it, 30 players, right, that were like, making some sort of like, kind of like substantial, uh, money playing professional soccer, playing on the U.S. Women's National Team, but like 30 players. Are you kidding me? Like that is so ridiculous. Yeah. And so now, um, you know, when we talk about uh, like financial, yes, no doubt. Like pay the players, let's go. Like uh, that is like my number one like thought. Right. Mm-hmm. Enough is enough. But I'm also like I think about the opportunities because within this is going to we're seeing what's happening in the game of of. Um, of in, in women's soccer globally currently. And it feels like we've all been screaming this for however long. Right. And now it's kind of like catching traction, but like within like money and financially, I also see again, opportunity of like what this looks like. Is there going to be expansion? Is there more opportunity for players? And then, and then because you're not so like, I don't really love to use the word handcuff, but like um, for lack of better word, like, they're not the coaches aren't right to just these players like that opens up um so many more avenues for players to get called in to um go a different direction if you're a coach so you know ultimately that's what I'm most excited about and you know I feel like is is the most exciting going forward Equal pay in this, in that terminology, is the headline. And that's the biggest thing in this. And then World Cup prize money is also a huge headline, um, which is the very first time an agreement of that scope has been put on the table. 
But there's also so many other points throughout this CBA that are important in, in different broadcast sponsorship revenue sharing. That's going to be split 50-50%. National team benefits, 401ks, child care during. And child care for the men, too, which is yeah. hugely important, right? Like Yes. So there was always child care for the women's national team during the national team camps provided. But now they've opened that up to be for the men's side as well. And like that part of it is, is huge playing and training surfaces, accommodations, travel schedule, predictability of, of all these other points that aren't just equal pay and equal world cup bonuses, Lori uh, of these other points in, in travel predictability and training surfaces and, and airline travel. What of those sticks out to you the most? I know you jumped on the childcare thing. Yeah, well, I think I, I think that that's massive, right? And that was something that thing that it's been talked about on Twitter this morning, and something that probably would go overlooked, get overlooked. But I do think that that is hugely important. Um, you know, just I think the resources that it, it's really I think all of this again goes back to my point about collaboration and not operating in silos and bringing both teams to the table, right? I mean, ultimately, it was getting the men's team. Um, in the conversation and, and what that looks like, because I think it gets everybody more engaged, right? And that that ultimately is the goal, is because when you know, then you can't unknow a lot of stuff. And so if you are um, if you are continuously not engaged in the dialogue that had been happening with our U.S. Women's session, this has been going on for six years, right? From the time it originally, that is a long time, right? To be in um, in a fight with your federation, and so and then look how quickly this came about. And Sandra spoke about it earlier about the contingency um, with the settlement and what that meant. That was only going to take place if we come to an agreement. Um, but like, look how things quickly move once you get everybody at the table and like talking about this, right? I mean, yeah. it's, I'm simplifying that, but still, I mean, goodness gracious, we've yeah. been working like in these silos for way too long, and at the end of the day, you really realize that majority of people do want the same thing, right? And so to me, it's not about picking out one thing. I mean, the resources are massive, yeah. but um, it's not about like picking out one thing. It's just more about like the how we got here and how important that is and, and what needs to continue to happen as other things continue to evolve and, and come up, right? I'm looking at the the you know, the clauses within uh, and the provisions to something like resources. And I, fe I feel, Laurie, like, please correct me if I'm wrong, but like, I feel like for a really long time, that was kind of what was taking like precedence over something like a concept like equal pay. Like for a really long time, it was about like, hey, can we not play on terrible surfaces it's like hey can we not play on artificial turf it's like hey can we have a, a better per diems or like better uh you know travel uh accommodations even, for us even the schedule right. you think that we are just not less than right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like that's actually the general thing like hey you could care and not think that we're less than is yeah. basically what it comes down to right it's just exactly like, i think this schedule predictability is something that i almost circled in a little bit on it, yeah. is that because the NWSL is such a important part of these players' lives because that's how they're getting a lot of their payment as well, uh, that's their job, that the planning of the schedule for international breaks needs to be more deliberate and planned out ahead of time so these players can 
go to their club teams and and know exactly when they're going to not be there, what games they're going to be missing, if any, and and plan that out, quote, as far in advance as possible. So hoping that like that's a, a really good step forward as well in, in the scheduling of it all. Yeah, for sure. And I've, I've loved just like, you know, reading the the reactions or hearing from obviously the the, the players themselves. Um, you know, obviously with within the the news announced earlier this morning, um, Becky Sauerbrunn, president of the the U.S. Women's National Team PA, has said within the release that the accomplishments of the CBA are a testament to the incredible efforts of the women's national team players on and off the field. The gains we've been able to achieve are both because of the strong foundation laid by the generations of national team players that came before and the current team and through our union's recent collaboration with our counterparts at the USNSTPA and leadership at U.S. Soccer. We hope that this agreement and its historic achievements in not only providing for equal pay, but also in improving the training and playing environment for national team players will similarly serve as a foundation for continued growth of the women's soccer, both in the United States and ahead. I also really appreciated uh, what Margaret Purse, Mitch Purse saying a little bit, adding uh, some more depth or some more interest in terms of what this can mean or what it does, what the type of weight that it holds. And she mentioned her dad uh, in some quotes here saying, my dad always told me that you don't get rewarded for doing what you're supposed to do. And paying men and women equally is what you're supposed to do. So I'm not giving out any gold stars, but I'm grateful for this accomplishment and for all the people who came together to make it. So I, I love that. And yeah, I got to say, she's not wrong. You yeah. know, Mitch Purse, once again, coming through with 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 the correct yeah, uh, take, I love this you know. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely love it. I, uh, Lori, I guess I just want to, you know, in terms of maybe starting to close this this segment out with, with everyone who has, has joined us Um live I, it's so funny i hate to even do that. like i remember i think when we did this again when we did this with the nwsl severe we were like trying not to get uh to get choked up um on this thing but i you're someone who has been in the space you play the game you've been in this space you have heard known seen what it is firsthand to sort of go through this and and, and with these last recent six years specifically these aren't just your teammates these are these are your friends going to bargaining tables and, and doing this what what does it mean to sort of have this finally kind of come to a close and know that at least through 2028 these players can just focus on their game and go out there and be people and be soccer players <laughs> well listen knowing the group of these um people that are my good friends that it won't just be about playing soccer um <laughs> and exactly to mitch purse's um point um or margaret purse excuse me that you know listen this is a moment to be celebrated no doubt and like he like let's enjoy that and also there's still um work to be done right um in a lot of different areas so i think that that is not um, something that should be overlooked either um but this is years and years right and i think this group of current players um to continue this like the longevity in the of this fight and like you know, the, the consistency of it, right. Cause that has taken, it has taken its toll behind the scenes no doubt. And to go into basically a fight with your Federation is, is not easy. Right. And then continue to put on the Jersey, um, every single, um, month, right. To, or however, 
many times throughout the year. So for me, it's a it's a point of celebration. This is a, a this is a milestone, and and credit to Cindy Parlo Cohn as well um, for the mount um, and a lot of the people behind the scenes in the federation who really worked hard as well to like understand where the players and the women were coming from and all this because I think that was always an issue is like not actually listening right to like. Mm-hmm. This is what we're asking for. And I think Cindy set the precedence for that um, to really start deeper conversations. Um, And then, you know, for me, it's a celebration, but also congratulations to um, all the players that have been involved. But no doubt, always work to be done. Um, And so I think it's like more of us need to continue to, to get involved in the conversation on a deeper level. And hopefully this invites um, more and more people in. I love that. Let's close out on that. We want to thank everybody for joining us today as we celebrate the historic CBA for the two national teams here with U.S. Soccer Federation. Thanks everybody for joining us and listening to to our takes. Let's let's celebrate. We don't we all we often talk about that that there was a time that we felt that uh, there weren't a lot of dubs to celebrate, but this is definitely one, and we're going to do that for as long as we can. So thank you everyone for listening. Get out there and celebrate. Tell people about this new historic news and share it. Make sure you follow us on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram at Attacking Third. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you listen to your podcast shows. We're available as video. Subscribe to us at youtube.com slash Attacking Third. If you have questions for us, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts with your question, and we'll answer it during a mailbag segment. And Lisa and I will be back for midweek action. We're going to give you a lo- another live recap. So join us on Thursday for uh, our takes on Wednesday's games. For Sandra Herrera, Lisa Roman, and Lori Lindsay, this was the second Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.